If you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. As we look at this chapter that contains one of the most iconic accounts in all of the Bible, would you look at it with me tonight and over the next several weeks ahead with fresh eyes? Because I want to draw a spiritual analogy from the account that is found here. Nearly two years ago, I read a book entitled, Goliath Must Fall, written by Pastor Louis Giglio. As I read it, I knew that I wanted to take the premise of the book and turn it into a series, a theme for a series, and that's what we'll do for the next several weeks. 1 Samuel 17, let's just read the first, 17, first 11 verses Excuse me, as we begin. And then tonight we'll just set the stage for this theme that we'll continue in over the next several weeks. 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then... Shall ye be our servants and serve us? And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The Philistines were a constant enemy and threat to the Israelites. They were a Canaanite people who lived in the region before Israel's entry under the leadership of Joshua. They were technologically advanced, polytheistic people. And at this junction in the account, they pressed into central Judah. 
And King Saul mustered an army to come and meet them, which they did at the Valley of Elah where this event occurred. I've got a map for you that will kind of designate where we believe these events took place. You can still see the Valley of Elah in Israel today. And you may not be able to make it out real well, the, the writing, but this map places where the Philistines were encamped. The valley lay between, and the Israelite army was up on the next mountain. It's kind of like mountains around here, in a sense. They were hills. But this is where this took place, and the valley was between them. So you can imagine, can't you? These two opposing forces... One camped on one hill, the other camped on another, a valley between them. And I'm sure when Saul called his men to action, he did not intend to remain unengaged with the enemy. Kings in that day didn't call their armies together and go out in array, set themselves in array for the purpose of sitting in their tents. The intention was, we're going to battle against the Philistines. They've invaded our territory. They're threatening our nation and our people. We're going to defend ourselves. But, when the armies came to these points with the Valley of Elah between them, they remained deadlocked for nearly six weeks. Why? One reason, one man, one giant. The Bible tells us that Goliath showed up every morning and night for 40 days with the same tactics, same challenge, same reproach. And we enter the story on the 40th day. And by this point, Saul, perhaps in stages, had spread the word among his people. Brother Kevin, there is someone at the door. He had spread the word among his people, his soldiers. Hey, you let people know that whoever challenges and defeats this giant, here's the reward. And by the 40th day, perhaps if he did it in stages the reward for the, the one who would challenge and defeat Goliath surpassed imagination. Wealth untold. A tax-free existence. I mean, that alone is amazing, right? You and your family tax-free from now on. That's great. But then, in addition... Marriage to the daughter of the king. Bringing you into the king's household. This was an incredible reward. But perhaps even more incredible, no one took King Saul up on the offer. Not one soldier within his camp was daring enough risking enough to say, I'll be the one. I'll, I'll challenge and defeat this Philistine for that reward. Not one 
And so it seemed that this would go on forever. Do you think this sounds familiar to you? You say, well, pastor, yes, I I know the story. But that's not what I'm talking about. Let's look at it with fresh eyes and put it in an analogy for the perspective of our lives. You might not be facing tonight off against a nearly 10-foot giant, but you may be facing off against a problem that has become gigantic in your life. A habit, behavior, thinking pattern, addiction, or similar struggle may have grown so large that it's a giant in your life. You know what's interesting about giants? Giants aren't born giants. You ever think about that? Goliath wasn't born six cubits in a span. Giants aren't born giants. They grow to be giants. And the same thing often happens in your life and mine. Something starts out as a small problem, just just a little behavior. It grows and it grows. It's a habit. It's a thinking pattern. It's an addiction. And now it's a giant in your life. And here's the problem with giants. Giants haunt and taunt you. They keep you immobilized, unable to progress or move forward in your life, and leave you discouraged, depressed, and defeated. What was true of the Israelite army at that point? They're immobilized. Here's an entire army of men immobilized by one. A giant. Here's an entire army of men set against another army, but they're in a deadlock. Why? Because there's a giant in the valley. There may be a giant in your life who has wreaked the same havoc. You're immobilized. You're not moving forward in your walk with God. You're not moving forward in your Christian life. You're not progressing in your service and commitment and ministry. You're not progressing in in the power of God in your life. You are deadlocked because of a giant. God has something better designed for you. He's purposed something better for you. To experience it, your giant must fall. And so throughout this series, like the giant of 1 Samuel 17 had a name, didn't he? 1 Samuel 17 there, verse number 4, told us he was named Goliath of Gath. Like the giant of 1 Samuel 17 had a name, we'll name some of our giants. I shared Wednesday night, Pastor Craig Rochelle says, you cannot defeat an enemy you cannot define. 
So we will name our giants and look at God's word for truth that will lead us to victory. And I desire, I pray that as we look at and name our giants, receive truth from God's word about our giants and put our God-given resources to work, our giants will fall. That's the whole point. And so tonight, I want to select just a few thoughts from 1 Samuel 17 to start us thinking about our giants. Number one, will you see this? Your giants are well-armed and armored. I think we need to understand these truths about giants. Look back, if you would, at verses 4 through 7 that describe Goliath here in this text. It says that he's a champion out of the camp of the Philistines. His height is six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of brass upon his head, a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He's got greaves of brass upon his legs, a target of brass between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And a man, one bearing a shield, went before him. He didn't even hold his own shield. He had a man who was just there to hold his shield. I would have been okay with being that guy. I mean, a shield for a guy who's six cubits in a span is probably the height, at least, of an average man, right? So I can get down behind this thing completely. But here's what I want you to see and put it in a spiritual perspective. Your giants are well-armed and armored. Depending on the exact measurement of a cubit at a time, at the time, because yes, it varied, Goliath most likely stood between eight and a half and nine and a half feet tall. You take the, the weights of his armor and armament here. His size alone would have been enough to intimidate anyone, even in today's age where average height of a man is is a little more than it was back then most would say that the average height in that day in that region was probably about five and a half feet it's a little more than that now but still someone eight and a half to nine and a half feet tall is definitely out of the ordinary that in and of itself would have intimidated anyone but now not only that he's a veteran soldier The Bible says he's a champion out of the camp. He's not a a clumsy, fumbling guy who doesn't know what to do with his size. He's well-trained and well-experienced. One Bible scholar noted that Goliath's arms and armor weighed 150 to 200 pounds in total. I don't know about you, But I can't imagine going into battle weighed down by 150 to 200 pounds of arms and armor. I I mean, I'd be a sitting duck, as most of you probably would be. But he was so massive. He was so strong that that's what he carried into battle. It implies that he's well-armed 
and armored. Friend, will you understand tonight that the same applies to your enemy and the giants he animates and enables in your life? Who's your enemy? You know who it is. Satan, the devil. And those giants that keep you immobilized, those giants who keep you deadlocked, those problems, those habits, those behaviors, those thought patterns, those addictions, whatever it is for you, whatever your giant is, maybe it's already in your mind. Maybe you don't need to listen to a series of messages to be able to name it. Maybe you can name it right here, right now. Whatever that giant is, do you understand that giant is enabled and animated by none other than your enemy, Satan, the devil. It's the devil who wants to keep you discouraged, depressed, and defeated. It's the devil who wants to keep you immobilized. It's the devil who wants to keep you deadlocked, keep you from progressing forward in your walk with God, in your ministry for him. And he does not put out weaklings. He doesn't put out weak giants. They're well-armed and armored. Would you see, secondly tonight, not only are your giants well-armed and armored, but your giants persist. Look further on in the text, if you would, at 1 Samuel 17, verse number 16. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. Wow. 40 days. Day and night. Goliath appeared and verbally attacked the army of Israel 80 times in 40 days. As if they needed a reminder. Right? As if they needed Goliath to pop out twice a day for 40 days just to remind them that he's there. They're in a deadlock for almost six weeks. It's as if he kept showing up just to rub it in. Can, can, Can you get the picture? Day one, morning and evening, he comes out. Day two, morning and evening. By day three, you're already expecting it, right? Well, it's about that time. The shadow's about cast at the right spot on the sundial. Here here he comes. Yep, there he is. I see him. By day six, day seven, day eight, it's just, it's getting old. You can set your watch to it. They come out, they listen, they get back in their tent because they're afraid. By day 40, I can imagine the just utter despair among the soldiers of Israel for 40 days. No one's volunteered. Saul has offered the moon and everything else to the one who would challenge and defeat this guy. No one has stepped forward. Oh, by the way, king, you're head and shoulders above everybody else. This is your task, isn't it? And he's not doing it. I guess we're just going to spend the rest of our days hiding in our tents from the giant. And you know, as I thought about it, 
my mind went to Luke chapter 4 and verse 2 where the Bible says of Jesus' experience being 40 days tempted of the devil. For 40 days, Satan attacked and tempted Jesus while he fasted in the wilderness. For 40 days and nights, Satan persisted in his efforts to distress and defeat the very Son of God. And friends, listen to me. Your giants, animated and enabled by Satan, persist like Goliath did with Israel and Satan with Jesus. They wear you down. They push you, they press you, they prod you. Has anyone experienced what I'm describing? The thoughts that that roll around in your head over and over and over again, they're not truths, they're lies, but they stay there, they stick there. And they distress, depress, discourage, and defeat you. A few days ago, Brooklyn had an appointment that I took her to. And after the appointment, we we went for a daddy and daughter date to lunch. And after lunch, she challenged me to race her to the van. She got a nice head start and beat me to the van. And we got to the van, and I congratulated her for beating me and, and winning that race. And she said something, I don't remember exactly what, and I I felt like the loser, you know. And so just in in playing, I, I looked at the Brooklyn through the mirror and I said, Brooklyn, but what if mommy doesn't like daddy anymore since I'm a loser? And here was Brooklyn's response. Daddy, are you listening to Satan's lies? And I said, what makes you ask that? And she said, I heard you say in preaching that sometimes we listen to, daddy, to, to Satan's lies. I about said daddy's lies. <laughs> Sometimes we listen to Satan's lies. And I, I was blessed that my daughter's listening to my preaching. But then I also thought again, how true. You know, so often Satan lies to us. He's, he's the father of lies. He's a liar from the beginning. And we, we listen, but those lies persist, don't they? He keeps attacking and keeps attacking and keeps attacking And the same is true of that giant that he enables and animates in your life. It's there again and again, day after day after day, morning and evening, at the most inopportune times. And it's a struggle. You're deadlocked because of it. Number three, I want you to see this. Your giants draw your attention. Look at verses 24 and 25 of 1 Samuel 17. The Bible says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Where are they focusing? Rather than focusing on God, the Israelites focused on what? The giant, the man. Now, this is incredible. Because if you know the Old Testament, especially what God told them and promised them about their enemies, you'll remember that God told them, He promised them, if you're faithful to my covenant, if you're obedient to me, what? No one 
no enemy will be able to stand before you. The reality is that the smallest, weakest, humanly speaking, least resourced man among them could have challenged and defeated Goliath if only he were yielded to the Lord. There was no soldier in Israel who would have walked out that day or any day and stood against Goliath and lost the battle. You see, the giant couldn't do anything in the face of God's covenant people. By the way, Goliath himself put himself under the curse of God, didn't he? You say, how so? Genesis 12, 1 to 3, what did God promise Abraham? Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. As he stood and defied the armies of the living God, Goliath placed himself under the curse of God. Here's a man who already, because of what God promised the children of Israel, could not win, who already, because of his own action in cursing the armies of the living God, could not win, and yet he immobilized the entire army of Israel. Why? Because he got them to stop looking at God and look at him. And that's what giants are going to do in your life. Your giants will steal your attention. They're big. They're loud. They're audacious. Not because they are bigger and better than the resources you have through Christ, but they do so to distract you from the bigger and better resources you have. If you're a child of God, friend, you have resources available to you to defeat any giant. But the giant doesn't want you to focus on those things. The giant's going to draw your attention away. Number four. So crucial in this discussion. Your giants use discouragement to stop you. Look at verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, David's eldest brother, that is, heard when he spake unto the men. David shows up. He's commanded by his dad to bring some food and some, some helps to his brothers, to the captain of their thousand. And he's asking, Who, who's this, this giant down here who's who's cursing God, who's defying God's armies. Why, why, why hasn't someone put a stop to this? And Eliab is now responding to, to David, and he says, David, you know, you're right. I should step up and go take care of that. Is that what happens? No, look at what he says. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Whatever the reason that Eliab speaks to him this way, David's oldest brother's words could have discouraged him. Now look at verse 33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. 
for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Think about this now. King Saul, who has sought a volunteer for 40 days and not gotten any, now turns away the only one that he's gotten. Why? You can't do it. You're just a young man. You're just a boy. You're too small. Look at you. You're the pretty boy of the group. You can't do this. And then if you would look at verses 42 to 44. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. You know what that word means? It means to disesteem. He saw David come down to challenge him. And Goliath rolls his eyes. He throws his head back. Is this really what Israel's going to give me? It goes on. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. So finally now, the giant himself discouraged David. Everyone told him he couldn't, that he shouldn't. They suspected his motives, his ability, and his faith. And here's something I want you to see, because the discouragement came even before it came from the giant. Friend, understand this tonight. Sometimes you'll be discouraged by someone who should encourage and support you. Eliab, David's brother, should have encouraged and supported him. The king should have encouraged and supported him. They should have applauded David's faith. They should have applauded his determination. They should have applauded his desire to step in and do something for God. But they all said, no, you shouldn't. No, you can't. What are your motives? Your faith? They questioned him. They discouraged him. A parent, a brother, a sister in Christ, or a spiritual leader may intentionally or unintentionally discourage you. Whether they do or not, your old adversary will be primed and ready to discourage you. There'll be discouragement. It's one of the main armaments in Satan's artillery. Discouragement. So we've seen four things about our giants. They're well armed and armored. They're persistent. They draw your attention away. They use discouragement to stop you. I want you to see one more thing about our giants as we open this series before we conclude. And it's this. Your giants are defeated. You say, Pastor, the, the title of the series is Your Giants Must Fall. Pastor, I, I have a giant in my life. I know what you're talking about. I have a problem before me. 
I, I have a thought pattern. I, I have a habit. I have a behavior. I have an addiction that I've not been able to defeat. That giant is still present in my life. Why are you saying that the giant is defeated? Look at your Bibles. 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 51. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and with spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David that David hasted ran toward the army to meet the Philistine and David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Listen, friends. Your giant is defeated. All those giants... Whatever yours is or are have already been defeated. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? Yes, David went in and defeated Goliath, but Goliath isn't my giant. How can you say that my giant's already defeated? You see, before you enter the valley of Elah to face your giant, before you get into the ring, before you step out on the battlefield, friend, you need to understand tonight, Jesus has already entered the valley of Elah for you. He's already gone into the valley. He's already gone into the ring. He's already stepped onto the battlefield. Listen to what we read in these two New Testament passages. 1 John 3, verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Listen to me. That giant, the one who haunts and taunts you day by day, has already been defeated by Jesus. The battle is the Lord's, and that battle has already been fought and won. Now that doesn't mean that we do not and will not have battles to fight. 
Our defeated foe is still a deadly foe. But listen, Jesus has already won the victory. He's given us everything we need to fight and declared that we are victors. You have all that you need. You are a victor in Christ. Are your giants real? Yes. Are they well armed and armored? Yes. Do they persist? Yes. Do they draw your attention? Yes. Do they discourage? Yes. But that's only part of the story. The rest of the story is that Jesus entered the valley of Elah before you, faced down and fought the enemy and won. So while we'll still name our giants, receive truth about our giants, and talk about resources God has given us to live in victory, the first truth you need is this. Your giant is already defeated. That foe who looms before you, that problem, that behavior, that pattern, addiction, that habit, whatever it is for you, you name it. You give that giant the name that it is. And then say this, my giant, put the name in, is already defeated. Maybe tonight, that's what you need to do. There in your Bible, on that notepad, wherever you're taking your notes, maybe in your phone, you simply need to name your giant and say, whatever that giant's name is, I'll just use Goliath. Goliath is already defeated. The battle is the Lord's. Jesus has already fought and won. He's given me the resources I need. He has said I'm a victor. That giant is defeated. Your giant must fall. And if it's going to fall, the first thing that you need to know, to believe, to live, is that that giant is already defeated. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Tonight, I wonder, as you've listened well, who might say, Pastor, I'm looking at a giant in my life. Even before you start naming some, I'm looking at something in my life that would qualify as a giant. That's you. Would you just lift up your hand, Pastor? That's me. I, I know I'm going to need this. There's a giant in my life. Many hands. Tonight, here's the invitation. Maybe you already know what the giant is. And you need to come to God tonight in prayer and simply say, God, my giant is, and you name it. You fill in the blank. Tell God 
what that giant has done in your life, is doing in your life. Confess to God that you've allowed that giant to discourage you, to defeat you, to immobilize you, to cause you to be in a deadlock. But then, you tell God, God, I believe my giant, you name it, is defeated. I believe Jesus defeated my giant through his death at Calvary. And God, help me right now to believe, to claim, to begin to live out the truth that that giant is defeated.